When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Those are the famous words of the 20th century pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer, he pastored in Germany during the time of Hitler's Nazi regime. And Bonhoeffer, he was ultimately imprisoned and killed for his faith in Christ and for his refusal to join the Nazis. They wanted him to follow Hitler, but Bonhoeffer was already following Christ. And he was no half-hearted disciple like we have today. Bonhoeffer knew full well what it meant and what it would cost to follow Jesus, which is exactly why he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. He believed it, and he lived out the faith. Unfortunately, we know nothing about that in America today, do we? When you look at the people who call themselves Christians today, compared to the faith of someone like Bonhoeffer or Judson or Spurgeon or any of the other greats, we know nothing about paying a price today. In fact, there's a woman in Uganda who cannot walk, and every single week she crawls on her hands and knees two miles to get to the church in order to be able to gather with the church and worship Jesus. Would we do that? No, most of us, we won't even get in our cars and drive ourselves to church if it's cloudy, if it's raining, or if it's too sunny and we need a lake day. I mean, it's got to be the perfect weather for us to get there. Or if we just feel like lounging around. We're content to be consumers in the church today. We want to show up, call ourselves a Christian, consume. But the second that it seems that following Jesus is actually going to cost us something or make demands of our lives, we take a step back and reconsider whether Jesus and following Him is actually worth it. The great pastor George Mueller once said, I am not only content to be a hammer, an axe, or a saw in God's hands, but I shall count it an honor to be taken up by Him and used by Him in any way. Do we want that today? No, we don't want to be used by God today. We want God to use someone else. We want to see Him work. We want to see Him do great things. We just hope He doesn't use us to do those things. Because we've got our own lives. We have things that we have going on. We've got our own plans, our own desires, our own ambitions. We have mapped out our lives and charted our lives so much that we have no room for God in our lives anymore. We don't want to be taken up and used by Him. We want Him to work as long as it's not using us. We're content to come to church when it's convenient, hear a little sermon, and then go home and continue living our lives just as we always have done. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to serve. We don't want to commit. We don't want to step up because that might mean it might actually cost us something. That might mean that we have to make some sacrifices in our lives. That might mean we have to make some changes in our lives. That might mean we actually have to reorient our lives. And we don't want that. American Christianity today is a costless Christianity, and a costless Christianity is a Christless Christianity. Jesus said there was a cost to be paid, and we have ignored that entirely. We have a lot of would-be disciples today, People who are willing to follow Jesus as long as they get to set the terms and conditions 
before following Jesus. But this passage is teaching us something important, folks. I want you to understand this is what the whole point is. In order to follow Jesus, we must follow Him on His terms. Not yours. Not mine. Not what the culture says. If we are to follow Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, we must follow Him on His terms. Terms And that should lead to a main question you should be thinking about as we go through this passage. Well, what are the terms for following Jesus? If it's true that there is a cost, there is a price, there are terms, then what are the terms for following Jesus? I want you to notice what the Bible says here, beginning in verse 18. Look with me if you have your Bibles there. The Bible says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him. Keep in mind, Jesus could always gather a crowd, okay? That was not hard for him to do. People were always interested in Jesus. It was just the commitment part that they had problems with. Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, just notice for a second there who this first would-be disciple is. He's not just your average Joe, he's a scribe. And you have to remember that scribes at the time had significant power and influence amongst the Jewish people. Scribes, not only did they copy the law, but they interpreted the law. They taught the law. In fact, if the law did not address an issue specifically, it was the responsibility of the scribe to create a precedent. Now, you you have to understand, to be a scribe meant that you had a lot of authority You had a lot of influence. You had a lot of sway with the Jewish people. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what was going through this man's mind, but it's not hard to imagine either. He imagines that he has found himself a win-win situation here. He imagines that that he's going to bring something to Jesus and offer some benefit to Jesus. Because keep in mind, who are the only people so far who have been following Jesus in Matthew's Gospel? you got a bunch of fishermen, some day laborers, A leper, a centurion, a woman. In the scribe's mind, he's going, this guy's got a bunch of nobodies on his team. (laughs) He needs some respectable people. He needs some people who can give this popular movement he's got going on some credibility. Maybe give it a little authority, some respect amongst the people. And guess who can fulfill that role for him? It's this scribe. He thinks, I'll just join Jesus. He'll get the credibility of the scribes. And then what will the scribe get? Well, he'll get all the popularity that comes from being one of the close people to Jesus. This was a popular movement at the time. So he's thinking, Jesus gets something, I get something. It's a win-win for everybody. He's like an ancient Israelite influencer. I was going to say something about influencers this morning, but I've maybe decided against it. But if you know anything about influencers today, basically they just reach out to a bunch of companies and ask for a bunch of free stuff all the time. Why on earth would companies give them free stuff, you might ask? That's a good question. Well, it's because the influencer says it's a win-win for everybody. You send me free stuff, and so I get a bunch of free stuff. But then in return, I will showcase your stuff on my social media accounts. That way your company will get more visibility and potentially more new customers. It's a win-win for everybody. Nothing could be easier for the influencer because that arrangement costs them nothing. They just have to sit there, get a bunch of free stuff, and post it online. That's exactly what this scribe is thinking. He's thinking he has found a way to cost-free discipleship. He joins Jesus. Jesus gets the credibility, the authority, and the respect of having a scribe with him. And this man 
gets to grow in his popularity. More people get to know his name and be under his influence. But the problem is he fails to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do in the first place, which is evident by what he calls Jesus. Did you notice there? What does he say to Jesus? He says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. He calls him teacher. You might be saying, well, pastor, what's the big deal? After all, Jesus did teach people. Well, here's what you need to understand. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is called teacher five times, and every single time the person who calls him teacher is not and will not become a disciple of Jesus. Teacher is what the outsiders call Jesus. And so this man, for all his intelligence and all of his intellect and respect and everything else, he fails to understand that Jesus is not just another popular teacher seeking to stir things up a bit. He is the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, who came to inaugurate God's kingdom and save God's people from their sins. That's who Jesus is. That's what He came to do. The scribe presumptuously says that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. But the problem is he doesn't even understand where Jesus is going. He doesn't know the path that Jesus is on. Jesus is not on the path to becoming the next high priest in the temple. He is on a path headed for a hill called Calvary where a cross awaits him. And anybody who would follow Jesus must follow along that same path. This scribe wants the crown of glory without the cross of suffering. He wants a cost-free discipleship, but no such thing is possible when it comes to Jesus, which is why Jesus says, listen to me, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. In other words, Jesus is saying to this man, you think that following me is going to be easy. You think that it's just going to be like living your life currently and nothing's going to change at all. You think that it is going to be the easiest thing in the world to come after me and follow me. But Jesus says, listen, everybody else has the comfort of home and a place to rest their head. That is not where we're going. We will have no such, no such luxuries as we go on this path. He's saying, if you are going to follow me, you're going to have to give up your comfort. You're going to have to give up your ease. Are you willing to do that? Is Jesus worth more to you than a life of comfort and ease? It's the same question we have to wrestle with and address today. You see, this scribe, he's a lot like some of the seed from the parable of the sower. Y'all remember the parable of the sower? A man goes out, he starts throwing seed. The seed lands on a bunch of different types of ground. And some seed in particular fell on rocky ground. Well, what happened to that seed? Well, you'll remember that the seed sprang up immediately because it had no depth of soil there. And then what happened is, after it was springing up immediately, the sun rose and scorched the seed. And because it had no depth of soil, had no roots, the seed withered away. And that describes this man perfectly, does it not? He's all excited about Jesus. He springs up, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. You tell me where you're going, I'm there with you. Just as we have many people today who get real excited about Jesus for a time, don't they? This sounds awesome. All I have to do is say I believe in this guy and I don't go to hell. I get to go to heaven and be in glory forever. That sounds awesome. Sign me up for that. But the problem is if there's no foundation... 
If there's no roots, if you don't actually understand what salvation is, if you don't actually understand who Jesus is, and there is no roots to anchor you down, when the adversities of life come, when the trials of life come, when the hardships of life come, you are going to fall away just as this scribe did. This man, he has a heart that's fixed on comfort, and a heart that is fixed on comfort cannot endure a life apart from it. He doesn't want to lay everything down to follow Jesus. What he wants to do, folks, is what so many people want to do today. He wants to add Jesus to his current lifestyle. He says, I'll call myself a Christian. I'll say I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to keep living my life exactly how I was living it before. I'm going to do all the same things I did before. I'm going to believe all the things I believed before. I'm going to talk and act and everything is going to stay the exact same. Only difference is, now I say I believe in Jesus. I've just tacked him onto my life. And Jesus does not allow that. See, the point here, folks, is that following Jesus requires real sacrifice. Following Jesus requires real sacrifice. Sacrifice. I can say it to you like this. If following Jesus has never cost you anything, then you're not actually following Jesus. He said there is a price. And the church today has veered so far from Jesus that we act in total contrast to how He acted during His ministry. We've made everything too easy for the sake of growing our numbers and trying to have the biggest churches we possibly can. Think about the church today. What do we do? You want to join the church? You want to be saved? All of the people today, they'll say, come down front, pray this prayer after me, ask Jesus to come into your heart, maybe fill out a card, all that kind of stuff. We'll add you to the membership role. There is no meeting with the person. There is no asking them if they actually understand the gospel. There is no asking them if they understand sin and what the salvation of Jesus actually means for their life. No, they just don't want to go to hell and we want to have bigger memberships. And so we say, you're in. We're leading people astray. Churches today are filled with people who have a false assurance because they followed all of those steps, but no one actually talked to them about what the gospel actually is. No one actually talked to them about what salvation actually is. We make it so easy just because we want big churches. We say everybody can come in. It doesn't matter who you are. When Jesus himself turned people away, he made it difficult. He told people to count the cost. Today we're leaving people unprepared. They have no idea that there's a cost. We tell them all about heaven. Hey, if you become a Christian, you get to go to heaven. But we don't tell them anything about the life of suffering they're going to live. We don't tell them anything about the hardships that are going to come their way. We make them think that life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows if you come to Jesus. And that's just not true. And you know it's not true. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you get an easy life. Actually, following Jesus leads to a more difficult life. Which is exactly why Jesus said to count the cost. What will it cost you? Well, it will cost you your popularity, that's for sure. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. In other words, if you're one of these people who so desperately wants everybody to like you all the time, and everybody to always approve of you, which I struggle with that too, I get it. 
But if that's in your heart, you're going to have a hard time following Jesus. Because as soon as you start following Him, and you start taking a stand on biblical issues such as gender and sexuality, such as abortion, sexual promiscuity, and every other biblical issue, as soon as you start taking a stand on those things, the world will mock you. The world will hate you. The world will look down upon you. They will ridicule you. They will accuse you. They will threaten you. They will call you names. Are you prepared for that? Are you willing to follow Jesus and stand for biblical truth, even if it means that you don't get to be part of the popular crowd? Even if you don't get all the invites to go and hang out with your coworkers and everything else? Are you willing to forsake popularity for the sake of following Jesus? Because it'll cost you that. I can show you my email and I'll prove it. (laughs) Following Jesus, it'll cost you your comfort. As you see here. The scribe thought he was going to have a life of comfort, but Jesus does not call us to a life of comfort. Jesus calls us to a life of obedience. And a life of obedience almost always involves hardships and trials. You hear the health and wealth preachers today say, Come to Jesus. And you will have the easiest life ever. No more sickness. No more disease. You're going to have a perfect marriage. You're going to have sinless children, a high-paying job, a big mansion, a nice car. Everything is yours if you come to Jesus. Life will be easy. The Bible says in Acts 14.22, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's the entrance, folks. Through many tribulations tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Which means you're going to have to make some sacrifices if you're going to follow Jesus. Sacrifices not a lot of us want to make. I mean, there could come a time when Jesus calls you to give up your yearly vacation and go on a mission trip instead. I know we love our yearly vacation. Multiple year, you know, multiple vacations per year, whatever. Jesus could call you to give that up so that you could actually go and take the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. Are you willing to do that? To put aside something that you want to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. He might call you to quit your job, sell everything, and become a missionary. And listen, you don't want to hear this, I'm praying that happens. You never want to hear your pastors praying against you, but I am. I pray that the Lord would raise up church planters from our midst. I pray that the Lord would raise up missionaries from our midst. Nothing would make me happier than being able to send some of you away because God has called you to be a missionary or a church planter. And if he does that, are you going to be willing to follow him and obey? He might tell you to forego buying new material possessions that you don't actually need so that you can give that money to Bible translation instead. So that you can help people actually have the Word of God in their hands if they have never had it before. Are you willing to do that? God definitely calls you to give up your evenings at home to join gospel groups on Sunday nights and Bible study on Wednesday in prayer. That's all I'm going to say about that. Following Jesus will cost you your life. And that's not an exaggeration. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, being a Christian does not mean what this scribe thought it meant. Being a Christian does not mean that you simply continue living life as you have always lived it, but now you just call yourself a Christian. 
It does not mean that you just tack Jesus on to your life. It does not mean that you follow all of your worldly ambitions and your desires and do everything that you want to do, all while calling yourself a Christian. If following Jesus has never resulted in any change in your life, then you have not actually started following Jesus. The Bible says we must lay down our lives entirely. We must deny ourselves entirely. We must take up our crosses and follow Him. Which is exactly why Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your worldly ambitions. Die to your selfish desires. Die to yourself entirely. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Is He worth it to you? We think discipleship is easy, but I want you to see how hard it actually is. Notice what else he says. He has another man come to him. Verse 21, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now this would-be disciple, he's a little different, right? He's not a scribe like the first guy. Also, he doesn't call Jesus teacher, so it seems like he at least in some way knows That Jesus is the Messiah. Not only that, but notice he's not quite as as eager as the first guy. You know, the first guy was as eager as Joseph Bryant when he sees a subway in the Atlanta airport. Okay, he's like, I'm all in. Let's do this thing. Hop on the train and go. I mean, it's crazy. You got to see this kid, all right? (laughs) But this second guy, he's, he's more reserved. He says, okay, Jesus, I'm not saying I'll never follow you. I'm not saying that's a total no from me. He's saying, but there's just some things I want to take care of first. There's some things I'd like to go and do, and then maybe later, down the line, when everything works out and it's convenient, well, then I'll follow you. And specifically, he asked that he would be able to go and bury his father. Now, let's all just admit, right? This is a pretty reasonable request. Can we all get on the same page there, right? It's a pretty reasonable request. Jesus, I'd just like to go bury my dad, then I can come follow you. It seems like this should be an easy yes from Jesus. Like, hey, of course you can. Well, I would be heartless not to do that. So go and bury your father, then come. So what does Jesus say? Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now the questions that are going through your mind right now are the same ones that go through my mind when I read Scripture too. Like, um, what in the world, Jesus? <laughs> Why would you say something like that? The man has just lost his father. Why would you not let him go and bury his dad and then follow you? Doesn't this seem a little cruel? Well, a couple things you need to understand. First of all, back in those days, the Jews were required to spend 30 days mourning the loss of a parent. So let's say, for instance, that this man's father had just died. Well, also, the Jews required that a person who died must be buried on the same day. So, if his father had just died... This son would have been at home arranging the burial of his father, not out and about in the streets following around a popular preacher from Nazareth. But let's say, for instance, maybe his dad died 29 days ago. Well, then he wouldn't need, have the need to bury him. Plus, he would still be in the mourning phase of that 30-day period. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, for instance, his father is on his deathbed. His father is about to die. 
And so he just wants to hang around long enough for his father to die and then he can bury him. Well, the problem with that is sons were responsible for caring for their sick parents. And if his father was actually on his deathbed and actually about to die, the son would not leave the bedside until the father passed away because the son was also responsible for arranging all the burial and funeral arrangements. So what does that mean? You put all this together and you realize this man's father is not dead. And he's not even close to dead. He is alive and well. That is further indicated by the fact that the phrase, let me go and first bury my father, was one of their figures of speech. We have many of these today. Uh, It's raining cats and dogs. That's one. Uh, For theater people. Break a leg. For people around these parts, you say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. That's just one of our figures of speech, okay? I don't think the Creek Indians are going to rise anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. But it's a figure of speech, and that's what this was. Let me first go and bury my father was a figure of speech that is actually still used in the Middle East today. So Pastor John MacArthur told the story of a missionary to Turkey. And this missionary was talking with a Turkish man, and the Turkish man was not a Christian, but he had expressed interest in Christianity. And so the missionary said, hey, listen, I'm about to go to Europe. I've got a bunch of speaking engagements over there. I'm teaching a couple classes, preaching, and I would love for you to join me. He was thinking he could lead this man to Christ, to faith in Christ, and then be able to disciple him. And the Turkish man replied and said, well, first of all, I must bury my father. And the missionary was immediately just ashamed of himself. He starts apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that your father had just died. I apologize. Please forgive me for being so insensitive. And the Turkish man looked at him and replied, Oh no, he isn't dead. That's just a phrase that we use. He said, My father is very much alive. I just have to stick around and fulfill all of my responsibility till he passes on. And then, of course... I'll receive my inheritance. That's actually what he was thinking about. That's actually what this man was thinking about. He tells Jesus, I need to first go and bury my father. What he's actually saying is, Jesus, I've got some worldly possessions coming my way. I've got some things that I'd like to to do before I do that. But if I can get my whole life together, if I can do all the things that I want to do, if I can make sure that I get my inheritance and I have my money and everything that's coming to me, well then, when it's convenient and I'm in a good place... Then I'll follow you, Jesus. This is a man who saw no urgency when it came to following Jesus. He thought, why do today what could be put off till tomorrow? And this is a very misinformed, dangerous attitude to have, is it not? I remember meeting with a man who wanted to join this church. We met in my office, and as we were talking, it became very clear to me that this man was not a Christian. And I said, I told him that. I said, it seems like you're not actually a Christian. And so we read scripture together. We prayed together. I called him to repentance. I told him to turn and trust in Christ for salvation. And this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I'm not there yet. He said, you've made it clear I'm not actually a a Christian yet. And I'm not ready to make that decision today. But he said this, I still have some things I want to do first. But I believe everything you're saying, so one day, I'll do what you say. He might as well have said to me, let me first go and bury my father. I have some things I want to do first. That's the attitude that we have in our world today. 
There's some things I want to do first before I go and follow Jesus. We have ambitions that we want to pursue, dreams that we are pursuing, desires that we have, all these things that we want to accomplish in our life. And then if we can do everything to our heart's desire and fulfill all of our dreams and all of our ambitions, then one day we will actually do what Jesus tells us to do. But I'm going to do what I want to do first. I want you to understand something, folks. When Christ calls you to follow Him, your decision must be immediate and take priority over everything else. That's ultimately what this is teaching us. Following Jesus requires prioritizing Jesus over everything else. Following Jesus requires prioritizing Jesus over everything else. My question to you is, does that describe your life? Do you prioritize Jesus and His kingdom and His purposes over everything else in life? I mean, this is especially relevant for today, is it not? In God's providence, we're having deacon elections today. Now, I'm not going to go on a rant, I promise. But, I would regret not saying that this is incredibly relevant Because Jesus tells these people to follow him immediately. And every year, we have men who receive votes for deacons, and every year they give me the same excuses. Not this year, maybe next year. Well, first I need to do this. First I want to do that. First let me get these things in order. And when I'm comfortable, when I feel like I'm in a good place, then I will step up and I will obey you. Let me first go and bury my father. you'll allow me one other word, just say this. God has blessed every church with what they need to be a biblical church. Which means that God has blessed this church with deacons, and it is the responsibility of the church members to identify those men and call them to service. And so if you are elected today, and your name comes up, And I call you later this afternoon, do not send me the voicemail. I'll leave a voicemail. I'll fill the whole thing up, all right? I'm a preacher. We know how to talk. If you are elected or people vote for you, you need to take that as a sign that God has gifted you in such a clear way that your fellow church members recognize that in you and want to see you serve in that biblical way. It is an honor to be gifted by God in such a way. It is an honor for people to recognize that God has gifted you in that way, and it is your responsibility to step up and follow Jesus in obedience. The men aren't saying amen because they know I'm calling them later. Let me ask you a question. Does the way that you spend your time throughout the week indicate that Jesus is your priority? I want you to think about that. Let's, let's have a scenario. Let's imagine that I were to have special access to your life for one week. I don't, but let's say I did. And I was able to observe everything you did for an entire week, and at the end of the week, I had a piece of paper, and I was going to write down, based on everything that I have seen in this person's life for the past week, this is what I think matters most to them. How many of you are going to have Jesus on your paper? If we were to see everything you do and how you spend your time for an entire week, is it clear to people that Jesus is your priority? 
People today say, well, pastor, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. That's not true. Look at how much time we spend on social media. Look how much time we spend watching TV. Of course we have time. The truth is there's just other things we want to do. People give their time to the things that matter most to them. So my question to you is, does the way that you spend your time indicate that Jesus matters most to you? Does your commitment to the church indicate that Jesus is a priority to you? Let me ask you like this. When you plan your year, if you're a planner like me, meticulous, we're about to start on next year's sermon calendar pretty soon. And it's August. But when you plan your year, or your weeks, or your months, do you first say, Sunday and Wednesdays are for the Lord? Whatever comes up throughout the rest of the year, whatever else we have going on, whatever activities, whatever hobbies, whatever else is going on, Sundays and Wednesdays are for the Lord, and in obedience to Jesus, we will gather with the church to worship Him. Or, when you're planning your years, and your weeks, and your months, do you then first plan all your events? all the hobbies and activities and events and things you want to do, and then you look and say, based on everything that we've got on the calendar now, here are the Sundays and Wednesdays that we can give to Jesus. Let me ask you something. If that's the case, what do you think has the priority in your life? The world and the things of the world? Or Jesus? See, the majority of us are actually free every Sunday and every Wednesday. We could be here for the Sunday morning gathering. We could get involved in gospel groups. And we could be here for prayer and Bible study every Wednesday. The reason we don't is because we don't want to. We just have to admit that. Should we not at this point? I mean, I tell people all the time, why do we sin? We sin because we want to. You have to admit that. Why do we not come to church? Because we don't want to. It's not actually a priority for us. We'd rather sit at home watching TV and scrolling social media than get involved at the church and prioritize Jesus. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus was saying that the world and the things of this world are passing away. And listen to me, even if I'm offending you this morning, you can talk to me afterward. The things of this world are not going to matter one iota in eternity. The things that you're giving your time to and your energy to and your money to and everything else, that you're prioritizing over Jesus, they're not going to matter in eternity. All these activities you have going on, all these hobbies you have going on, all the things that you're investing in, they are not going to matter one iota in eternity. But where you spend eternity matters in the utmost. And we are deceiving people. We have an entire generation of people who are convinced that they are Christians because they claim to believe in Jesus. They probably walked down an aisle, filled out a card, but their lives have not changed. They have not truly repented. They do not prioritize Jesus. They are intent thinking that they are going to heaven and one day they are going to stand before God and He is going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. And if this sounds too harsh, if it sounds too hard for you, then you're not ready to follow Jesus because this is the cost. And I will not stand up here and deceive you and lie to you and tell you it's going to be easy when Jesus says it's going to be hard. 
Jesus cannot just be tacked on to your life and made in addition to your life. He must be your life. He must take priority over everything else in your life. Listen to me. If Jesus isn't everything to you, then He is nothing to you. It's all or nothing when it comes to Jesus. And if we're to follow Him, we must follow Him on His terms, not ours. It amazes me how many people today can call themselves Christians and then actually not care at all about Jesus, not prioritize Him at all, not care about His mission. I mean, look at what He did for us, folks. He literally was in heaven perfectly content. Jesus did not come to earth because He was lonely. The Bible teaches that the Holy Trinity had perfect contentment with each other in heaven. They were content to be there and stay there without us forever. Jesus did not come down because He could not bear heaven without you. That is a lie. Jesus came down because the Father sent Him to redeem His people for Himself. He literally left the glories of heaven to live the life of a servant here on earth. He was despised. He was rejected. He was insulted. He was mocked. He was laughed at. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was ultimately put on a cross as though he were a sinner, even though he was entirely innocent. And the only reason he was up there in the first place was because of you and because of me. And then we have the audacity to look at someone do that for us and then say, I don't care about him at all. Jesus laid down his life for you so that you would not have to endure the Father's wrath forever. So that you would not have to endure hell forever. So that you could be redeemed and reconciled to God and spend all of eternity with him forever. He laid down His life for you. Will you take up your cross, lay down your life, and follow Him today? Let's pray.